Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 18 years of profiling excellence in government IT mission programs. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with machine learning and artificial intelligence strategies and programs in the federal government. With me on today's show are Gardy Rosias, Deputy CIO, Architecture, Engineering, Technology, and Innovation at Department of Energy. Jerry Ma, Director of Emerging Technologies, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Sanjay Kuyani, Chief Technology Officer, Department of Labor. David Laramore, Chief Technology Officer, Department of Homeland Security. Mark Elzey, Regional Vice President Federal at Data IQ. Jeffrey Phelan, Public Sector Chief Technologist, H2O.AI, and Tom Skurlock, Regional Vice President, Public Sector at Talend. We are talking about AI and ML, a very important subject. We've gotten over the hype curve. We're, we're practicing responsible AI, and we're into implementation. Gardy, tell us the state of the state there at Department of Energy. A lot of great activity going on in the AI space these days. Certainly, uh, and good afternoon, uh, everyone. So I, I sort of hate to to bring the pandemic into this conversation, but I think we can we can ever get away from it. Um, you know, as a result of the of the pandemic, I think one of the one of the things that we we saw was the sort of the public perception of uh, and trust around uh, virtual uh, means of communications and 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 so on. And uh, as a result of that, what we've seen uh, so far is uh, really this acceleration of of the demand for for intelligence, intelligent or AI capabilities that that can support the business in in in, in whatever ways possible. So, what we've been doing at DOE is really uh, within our innovation shop is really trying to figure out what is viable, and within sort of within that huge bucket of what is viable, uh, we need we you know we've been trying to figure out you know how do we sort of order these, how do we prioritize them in terms of things that we would just like to do as as technologists because they just you know they just make us. Uh, uh, happy um, and the things that will really add value to the mission and uh, and everything else. So within that, what what we've been doing at DOE, we've had a couple of uh, uh, what I think is uh, some great successes. We just focusing on on um, actual business cases, focusing on our on our mission and so on. We uh, we deployed this this uh, we built this in house uh, conversational agent for one of our uh, uh, business stakeholders within within DOE that has been really, really successful in terms of helping them to do things that they haven't been able to do in many, many years in terms of engaging with, with their customers, with, with their stakeholders externally. So that that's that's a really, really good uh, success story here that we uh, we were really proud of. But uh, in addition to that, there are different other things that we're looking at. Well, we've done some things around computer vision where we were using uh, some of the capabilities that we have at our fingertips to help some of our business stakeholders to you know, sort of move uh, labor uh, intensive uh, activities away from staff and, and, you know, sort of move them toward uh, the, the computers, toward AI capabilities. We're also uh, are looking at how we can apply sort of edge machine learning uh, to help to kind of uh, help to protect some of the uh, uh, some of the power grid. As you, as you know, there's been uh, many instances in the news where uh, the, the power grid has uh, have been uh, uh, under attack by just different uh, different people. So so we're looking at different ways how we can, you know, uh, we can apply technologies to uh, uh, particular AI, uh, particularly AI and machine learning uh, to to help to sort of advance the mission. So and and 
my shop uh, sort of play a very interesting role. We also run EA, uh, which means that we have to take a strategic uh, approach as far as how mm-hmm. we look at this as well. Yeah. So we have to we have to make sure that we create an environment for for a long-term innovation. So we're looking at tools and uh, we're, we're looking at a platform strategy. Uh, there are different components of AI. There is, you know, conversational AI is definitely uh, sort of what I think uh, uh, that falls in the quick win sort of bucket. You know, we, we see a lot with, with G- chat GPT, uh, generative AI. So we're looking at all of these and figuring out how do we set ourselves up for success, not just not just now, but for the future, right? We're doing market research in terms of, you know, which platforms are, are are great for for that kind of stuff, and ultimately, uh, we we want to make sure that you know two three years down the line, when we look back, we we did we sort of did approach uh, the problem uh, with with a you know with a strategic mindset, and also we with the sort of mission uh, uh, focus, and and uh, and the result is 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 good even you know three years from now. So that's kind very of very comprehensive. No no question, very comprehensive look that Department of Energy is taking on, on the. Uh, on the use and pursuit of AI, which we certainly really appreciate it. Very impressive. Jerry, uh, how about it use US patent and trademark? I would imagine that you're you're actually um, evaluating patents for AI. And of course you're using AI, perhaps in lots of different ways in the use cases. Um, give us a state of the state as to uh, where you all are with that machine learning in regards to uh, the journey. Thank you, Luke, and great to be here. Um, I think you're exactly on point that, uh, you know, as we um, style ourselves the America's Innovation Agency, we're looking at both fostering innovation in the broader domestic global economy through the provision of strong IP rights, as well as ultimately bringing those innovations back home to help the USPTO better serve our stakeholders uh, day in and day out. Uh, I want to echo something that Gardi alluded to uh, in his description of DOE's activities which is a dual focus on viability and customer needs. So in the AI space, we hear you know, all these flashy buzzwords, all these uh, developments in the news, uh, and that's great. You know, We love to see uh, new things as technologists. Uh, we love to see the field advance forward. Mm-hmm. But something that is flashy in and of itself is not valued at the PTO unless it is viable and it addresses an acute customer need, right? So these two questions are basically the, can we do it? And if we can, so what, right? So we both these answers have to be compelling for us to take on an AI project from start to finish, from prototyping experimentation to ultimate delivery to the customer. Um, now, the interesting thing with AI and ML is that answering the first question, can we do it, is uh, extremely non-trivial. Uh, it's, it's a problem that I like to call the proof of existence. Developing a proof of existence for any AI ML solution isn't just, you know, drawing a couple of architecture diagrams on a whiteboard. It's a lot of painstaking research, experimentation, training 10 models, see nine of them fail, uh, so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, very high variance, very random. So before we even invest anything in answering that question number one, we need to answer the customer needs question. Right before we invest millions of dollars in trying to figure out whether something works, we need to have a answer that is a resounding yes as to which customers will use it and how important, uh, how valuable will it be for those customers' use case. At the USPTO, although we have a very ambitious AI agenda, we have started with use cases which we, uh, in which we think the answer to at least question two is a resounding yes. You know, the so what, who cares? And then now we get to invest, uh, you know, quite considerable sums and effort in that 
uh, in addressing that question one, can we do it? Uh, these two areas are specifically retrieval and classification. So taking documents, taking content, figuring out what exactly is this document? Is it a patent about rocking chairs? Is it a patent about AI? Is it a patent about new pharmaceutical uh, therapeutics? Uh, so on and so forth. That is crucial toward getting our patents to the experts that they need to go to in order to ensure maximally effective adjudication. We don't want uh, electrical engineering experts adjudicating rocking chair patents or uh, you know, AI uh, or you know, mechanical experts adjudicating the latest and greatest in AI. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is retrieval. Once a patent is at someone's desk, how can we give the examiner as much information as we humanly can to help them make an informed decision that involves finding the space of everything else that might be relevant? Of course, that space is way too big. So then we need to rank and filter to make sure the examiner is able to see the most important related documents to whatever patents they're looking at. Um, and I think, you know, although we'll see a, many more use cases, we'll probably see, you know, some sort of impacts from generative AI. Uh, I imagine um, most agencies that are using AI, including the USPTO, I think starting not necessarily small because these are the ambitious projects, but starting where you have a resounding answer to the viability and customer need question is the way to approach AI if you're looking to deliver real value in the government. Uh, interesting use cases there, and we really do appreciate everything that uh, the Patent Office is doing on behalf of everyone in the U.S. Sanjay, how about at the Department of Labor? Give us a state of the state as to where you all are on this journey. Great. Thank, thanks, Luke. So, uh, so core activity when I joined DOL in 21 as a Chief Technology Officer was to establish an emerging technology office mm -hmm. that was focused on driving innovation. And since that time, I've strengthened, uh, I spent a lot of time strengthening our strategy, our structure, our core business processes, and the talent and help that can help to deliver that, that uh, work. So one thing that's really important to just maybe remind folks is that Department of Labor has, an, has a really important mission, and the IT services we deliver in, the, in our CIO is a shared service entity. So uh, the majority of our sub-agencies that deliver our mission value rely on our IT shop to uh, enable those missions. And so in, in the artificial intelligence, emerging technologies, these become really vital to one, getting them to understand the value of these products. And then two, how we can then help them to advance the work that they're doing around work enforcement, ensuring good working conditions, that people are retiring with dignity, that people are getting educated, trained back in the job market. So that's, that's a driver for a lot of what we do. How do we enable those mission enabled agencies to do their jobs better? Uh, in, in response to that, in, in 21, we set up two key programs. One was a robotic process automation program where we, were, we, we established a, an internal uh, foundational platform for how we drive that and deliver services. The other was around artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how could we offer this as a shared service based on mission value and pilots. I think my other colleagues talked about mission. First and foremost, what is the mission need? Where does this create value? And then is it something that's feasible? Is the juice worth the squeeze on how we drive that stuff through? Um, I think foundational to getting these programs out is getting in good staff, getting in good contract support that can help to enable it, that can help evangelize it, help uh, develop both the, uh, the needs of the programs, but also where there are limitations. One area that we, we developed early on, I think to help drive these programs was also an innovation incubator where we could look at what is the business process, what is the need? And we, we never start with, okay, 
you come with this problem, we can use AI or ML. It always starts with what is the problem? What is the need? What are the customers trying to achieve? And then as we take it through this discovery process, what's the current state? What does the future state look like? Uh, this gives us a chance to assess what is the right technology? Is it AI? Is it RPA? Is it something mm -hmm. completely different? But understanding that at the outset and understanding, are we asking the right questions? Do we have the right problem? Are we moving in the right direction is really crucial to uh, ensuring that we're not coming in thinking, okay, well, we've got the answer already. Uh, LinkedIn with the innovation incubator is also strengthening how we develop KPIs. And you know, what are the performance indicators that we're going after to see again, is it, is, is it, what are we trying to measure? Is the juice worth the squeeze on this? Uh, if we're going forward with this, is it having the intended impact? And so those are areas of maturation that we're continuing to go through to ensure a, a strong, healthy program. Two areas I just wanna, or a few other areas I wanna just hit real quickly are as, on our, our journey towards uh, delivering this as a, as a service. One is strengthening communications within the agency to ensure we're addressing the priorities and the needs of, of leadership. And so, you know, one area that we've looked at is what is leadership saying about AI and the future of AI in, in especially at DOL and its workforce. And I hear our, you know, our leadership talk a lot about, we want to empower workers. We want to enable them to do their jobs better. We want to augment how they, uh, how, they, how they do their work and shift from low value to high value work. So that's been a very core message. And as we look at the, the amount of work coming through DOL, the need to shift uh, focus away from grabbing documentation and pulling data together, and instead empowering some of our, our, our different program workers to make decisions faster, to focus on more customer service empathy, things that they really want to get to, uh, that's become a central message and a core area of focus as we kind of match the strategy to the situation around where heads are at, uh, what the readiness is for AI and how we're going to implement it. Mm -hmm. The other core areas around uh, employing responsible AI and ensuring that uh, how we design, execute, and validate AI is done is being done in, in an ethical and, and uh, equitable manner. Uh, partnerships, I think, are really key here. We, we, we had a, a presidential innovation fellow join us early on to help create the basis for uh, how we're, we're leveraging responsible AI and, and the work that we're doing. We just uh, started a partnership with um, uh, through an IPA with Stanford University's Institute for Human-Centered AI. Uh, there, there's there's a, a school of law to further develop our responsible AI strategy and ensure that as we do this, we're not including bias, we're not having unintended consequences, and uh, we can have much more transparency uh, as we deliver these products. Love the idea of you all uh, leveraging various types of talent there and a uh, good catch on um reaching out to that customer base. This is a technology that uh, you, know, you have to kind of uh, get into their imagination a little bit about what you can do and what's possible. All right, Dave, let's roll over to you. A lot of different uh, moving parts going on at DHS. I'm sure a tremendous amount of use cases here. Give us a state of the state as to uh, what DHS is doing in regards to pursuing AI, the use of AI and ML. Well, I think it would be... Um... Uh, first, important to state that we've been doing artificial intelligence machine learning for years. Um, the technology has been around since well before I was uh, in my position uh, in headquarters. I think the predominant difference is we are now really looking at what is the safe and effective use of AI. Mm -hmm. We are looking at um, understanding where AI is being used. We may not have understood where AI is being used. It's about uh, understanding the context of which the AI is used, right? Because there's a, a phenomenal difference between AI being used to help with cybersecurity, to help with um, things like delivering IT, and things like AI being used for determining benefits at USCIS. Right. So 
Right. So uh, we have spent the last year uh, cataloging over 100 and so uh, various use cases, the technologies assigned to those use cases. Um, we have seen the full spectrum uh, from uh, AIML solutions being used for computer vision, facial recognition, uh, pattern recognition, being used for sentiment analysis and topic modeling, uh, being used for uh, uh, document classification, um, and being, in some cases, um, being used for kind of the, the more traditional academic um, uh, machine learning around uh, disaster or uh, uh, event modeling. Uh, so many different use cases there, and uh, interesting that uh, you all have definitely been on a journey, and I uh, love the catch of the uh, categorizing it and cataloging it, and also making sure that it's being used responsibly. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. H2O.AI is the trusted AI provider to more than 20,000 global organizations and 1 million data scientists. Our goal is to get artificial intelligence capabilities into the hands of operators and analysts. Our tools empower data scientist teams to develop machine learning models quickly, accurately, and responsibly, making capabilities available to their organizations. Learn more at H2O.AI slash solutions slash industry slash government. This episode is brought to you by Dataiku. Dataiku helps organizations infuse AI into their business through data-driven decisions. Whether solving for the mundane or pushing the limits of today's technology, Dataiku brings collective success from AI while also unlocking individual creativity. Join the thousands worldwide driving results with Dataiku, the platform for everyday AI. To learn more, visit dataiku.com. Talend, a leader in data integration and data management, is taking the work out of working with data. Talend offers an end-to-end, enterprise-grade platform with capabilities that allow government agencies to actively manage organization-wide data across any cloud, hybrid, or multi-cloud environment. With Talend, data experts and everyday users collaborate to discover, transform, govern, and share data across the organization. Check out how modern data management drives real value for citizens and constituents at talend.com gov. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning. Mark, I'm going to throw it over to you at Data IQ and talk about where you all are in this space, what you're seeing across the uh, the public sector and perhaps the private sector. Great, thank you, Luke. Um, at Data IQ, uh, we're making great progress in helping our clients accelerate and scale mm -hmm. enterprise AI. Uh, it was great to hear David and Jerry talking about, you know, needing to focus on the right use cases. We focus on three key imperatives to help federal agencies become more data driven and drive adoption about on data science and, and AI. Number one, we need to equip our current workforce with capabilities and tools to become more data literate, uh, to get more resources to the mission. Uh, whether you're an Excel super user or you're a PhD data scientist, uh, we need you in the fight. Uh, we're in a race after all, um, and we, we're not going fast enough. We don't have enough of the of people focused on this type of work. You know, MITRE did a study recently that showed about 150,000 potential data science workers in DOD that were not coded as data scientists. So we're really focused on getting these people engaged in data science and productive on the right use cases. Number two, 
we need to ensure that we're designing and building trustworthy AI applications. A couple of folks have mentioned that already. Mm -hmm. If they're not trusted, they won't be used, and then the value is lost. Um, so how do we do that? Um, we've got a number of ways of doing that through data lineage, through a very transparent workflow uh, where everybody involved in building an application can see what has happened from step one all the way through implementation um, in, a, in, a, in a workflow. And then the third is moving at the speed of mission. Um, as a government and as a country, we have to be going a lot faster. Uh, we're making good progress in each of these areas, but what we see a lot are agencies saying, well, I can't really get after data science in a real way until I move my data to the cloud. I can't really do the things I wanna do until I put everything I have into a data lake and do this whole labeling project. We really believe with the right capabilities and getting everybody engaged together, you can do these things simultaneously. Uh, so that's really what we're focused on and, and we're making great progress. We're working all across the government uh, from defense through a federal civilian and state and local. And uh, you know, a lot of times customers will ask us, what does your AI do? And we have to explain to them, well, there are endless use cases for AI and Data IQ is here to help you design and build and deploy those uh, in your current architecture. And we really appreciate everything you're doing on behalf of the Federal Service. Jeffrey, H2O.AI, welcome back. Tell Thanks, us about Bob. the state of the state and how we're doing out there in regards to uh, the pursuit of this capability across the federal sector. Well, I think what's interesting, and we're relatively new to the public sector. We've been mm -hmm. here about a year. Yeah. Uh, and so our, our mission has really been to try to help our agency partners understand, and we've used the term earlier here, the art of the possible. And, you know, what we've been doing is really trying to meet the agency and the organization where they are in their journey, because we're finding there's a huge disparity in terms of maturity and strategy and personnel and really where they are. Mark talked about their infrastructures and so forth. I mean, as many variables as you can imagine, they exist. And when you move across the DOD and the IC and you get into security issues, and over into the federal civilian market with just different sizes. And so part of what we have to do is a lot of listening to understand where they are, because if you take them too far, too fast, it, you don't have success and you don't build confidence. And if you don't build confidence, you don't have trust. And if you don't have trust, you don't get to production, right? And in our world, you know, we're experts in production where there are billion dollar uh, analytics problems in the private sector H2O is more than likely running under the hood there. So helping public sector understand what they can do uh, and do it in a crawl, walk and run fashion. You know, Jerry talked about nobody wants to spend millions of dollars, right? And while we would all love to get that million dollar <laughs> first check, it's never like that. You've got to crawl, walk and run. And so I think there's that aspect. And the other area is that, you know, there is a huge disparity between understanding AI and ML, you know, we're talking about chat GPT-3 and four in large language models. It used to be, if you just talk about Star Wars, you were a nerd, right? We're at a whole new level these days. So um, helping educate management. There just are not enough data scientists for uh, the public sector. There never will be. And so we have to help educate and get everybody on a page where they can do that without having to feel like they need a PhD before they can get started. And so we're finding that there's a lot of education up and down the chain. You've got to develop trusted relationships. And then I think the last thing is, is that because a lot of this knowledge lives with the data science community, there's a real 
there's we're seeing a real tendency to really hang on to tools and tooling uh, as opposed to really look at things from a platform perspective. And I think uh, Gardy and, and Sanjay both talked a little bit about this platform aspect, which is important because the problem sets that all the organizations are dealing with, and, and David talked about hundreds of use cases. Well, we're finding that there's still a lot of vertical sort of silos in this space where people are really good in very specific use cases, or maybe it's document classification or it's regression or other areas. But sometimes these problem sets need to go across natural language processing, big data processing, they need deep learning, there may be object detection. And so helping teams understand that you can do that within a platform environment. Uh, and sometimes you have to pry those tools, those custom scripts and all that stuff that data scientists have been caring for over the years out of their hands to help them understand in order to scale this and to get business adoption, you've got to look at it from a platform perspective. So Sure. And that's a, and that's actually a really good catch. And a lot of this AI uh, tooling is um, sort of embedded into these comprehensive solutions that the uh, the agencies are now acquiring. Um, how about at uh, Talon? Well, first of all, let, let's uh, give us 30 seconds on uh, uh, what you all do in this space, and then let's talk about the state of the state. Sure. Yeah. So Talon, it's been around almost 20 years now. We're considered a global leader in uh, data integration and data management. Um, so we have a enterprise-grade uh, platform around data integration, integrity, governance, and data services. So essentially, we're, data is at the heart of what talent does, and it speaks directly to what we're talking about today, which is AI and ML. Uh, from our perspective, uh, these are highly effective tools. They're wonderful. They're exploding. Um, and these models allow agencies and researchers and scientists to create those reliable and repeatable decisions and results that we're seeking, uh, which speaks kind of to the speed of what AI ML can do. But we also know, and this is where talent comes in, is that the models are only as good as the data that fits them. And for talent, that data quality and the trusted data is really at the heart of our purpose. So if you can't rely on or trust your data, the decisions that you're making um, when it comes to the modeling and algorithms, they're just not sound. So we hear all the time from our customers in higher ed, state, local, fed, and commercial, they sometimes struggle to assess uh, their data because it is siloed and it's different places. They don't know who's, tr uh, who's touched it, where it's come from. So that quality and trustworthiness and, re and relevance is, uh, is, is not there. So that it typically leads to what we consider like data cleansing and profiling and all the things that go into making the data worthy. Uh, they're spending a lot of time in that space rather than doing actual analysis that can be, um, that proves out the, uh, the value from that data. So we work with data scientists, they like us, the developers and the, the modelers, because we help them scale to achieve that data excellence. So the back end, when they're trying to get those results um, are, are met. Sure, and, and and a good point. You know, the old uh, data in, data out type of situation uh, really shows up in spades when you start talking about this type of technology. We're going to talk about specific use cases. Jerry, we're going to start with you. You brought up some interesting uh, topics there in your uh, in your lead off. Give us an example of a specific use case you'd like to profile. 
Happy to, Luke. So I will return to uh, one of the use cases I alluded to uh, previously. The Let me uh, guess, the rocking chair. I will <laughs> try to avoid talking about the rocking chair, but yeah, I thought you, that was awesome. you, got, you I mean, hit it on the nail. It's a good point. You know, you go from rocking chair to AI and, uh, you know, all of these need a patent. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the million dollar question is how to distinguish a rocking chair from a computer, from a drug. That question is actually, you know, fairly easy to solve, right? So, you know, even, even without fancy AI, maybe just some like sort of keyword uh, segmentation or such, you know, we're able to tell, okay, here, this is rocking chair, this is drug. Um, at that level of granularity, we don't need anything fancy. However, the international classification scheme for patents is not just about separating rocking chairs from computers, from drugs. It's about separating, you know, one type of uh, semiconductor from another. It's about separating, uh, you know, one type of machine learning algorithm from another. You get into these super granular distinctions, even within the same general area. And sure. we are required to make those fine-grained, um, you know, fine-grained distinctions very cheaply, very quickly, uh, and with very high accuracy. So when we get into the question of, you know, saying, oh, this is a chip for a server and this is a chip for an embedded device, uh, you know, that's something that you, you can't really just sort of keyword score your way out of. And that's where AI, albeit, you know, narrow AI, sort of bread and butter ML uh, classification is required in order to achieve that sort of last mile of granularity. That's something that fortunately the uh, academic research community and the industry community have sort of solved almost to a T, right? Either single label or multi-label classification is something that's, you know, not not nearly a, you know, black art anymore. It's sort of, uh, it's sort of, uh, you know, ro tested, made robust. There are 20 different software packages you can use uh, such that there's still a bit of mystery in this problem but we're not wading into completely uncharted territory. We're not, you know, operating as our own little, um, you know, academic research lab, which has a federal agency. You never want to be in the position of having to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, we get to use best practices. We get to reuse software libraries uh, from, you know, folks who've been doing this for the past decade or two decades. And, you know, that really, um, that really reduces both cost of development and uh, buy-in from the agency at large at the outset of starting this project, right? Because we can tell them, we are pretty sure this can be done. And we are, again, going back to viability and customer focus, we're pretty sure it can be done. And after being done, we're pretty sure this has a pretty major impact to the agency on account of saving millions of dollars through the previous manual processes uh, and getting, in many cases, actually getting better accuracy than the previous labor-intensive manual processes. I'm so that's sure something better and uh, and and uh, and reduce time and then no question that you've got to get fine grained uh, when you're talking about uh, the issuance of a patent. So appreciate the use case, Mark. How about a data IQ? Can you give us an example of a sure. uh, program you'd like to highlight? Absolutely. So data IQ is a full lifecycle data science platform with everything you need out of the box to address mundane tasks like data access, data prep, data wrangling all the way to designing and deploying deep learning applications. So it's very, very uh, extensive and extensible. We partner with the Air Force on their Vault data platform. So Vault stands for visible, uh, accessible, understandable, linked, and trusted. And the idea is to provide full lifecycle data science capabilities to their 15 alpha um, operations research analysts. 
So it's an enterprise-wide capability so folks can have persistent or ad hoc access to data. They can label it, manipulate it, cleanse it, and experiment on an endless number of use cases. Um, of increasing importance right now is ensuring that insights that are generated from these applications are available in the workflow of the consumer, right? Uh, we're generating these insights. Are we, are we deploying them in a, in a, um, a web page? Are we deploying them in an existing application or um, workbench? That's really key so that folks can take the insights and use them in the course of their work, whether they be an airman, somebody in leadership, a data analyst, or other stakeholder. Some examples of use cases that, that we've worked with them on are um, financial planning and analysis. People don't think of AI as financial planning analysis, but you can automate pipelines to make these kinds of tasks really, really uh, fast. Mm -hmm. um, workforce planning, document classification, predictive maintenance, computer vision, all of these things are possible in, uh, in our platform. Fantastic, and we really do appreciate what you're doing for the Air Force. Guardi, specific example that you'd like to top line there. All right, uh, thanks. Since we're talking about data, I'll, I'll talk about an example that that, that deals with with big data. Um, it, you know, when we when we think about the way AI and machine learning uh, is used on data uh, to sort of give us the insight to make decisions, we we typically don't think about how that is arranged. But if you can think of a pyramid, right, where a lot of what we consume, the average folk consume, is at the top of the pyramid, right, and there are different layers, and and at the very bottom of that is where our researchers kind of spend their time consuming data, consuming uh, information so that they can get to uh, to the next level of their research. Uh, so out of the, out of the, uh, the NETL uh, lab, uh, the uh, National Energy Technology Laboratory uh, Research Innovation Center, there was this very, very uh, intriguing uh, project around smart search. Uh, this is where they're using uh, a big data algorithm to find data in ways that incorporates different varieties of machine learning techniques and, and, and uh, natural language processing capabilities to really, really get out uh, the information that a researcher would need. Uh, as we, I think Jerry was trying to sort of point out, you know, sometimes uh, we can apply AI to sort of solve sort of the quick wins, but when it comes down to sort of the, the specialized application of AI, you really have to sort of get down into the uh, nitty gritty uh, application of AI. And, and um, this project has been has been out there for for a few years now, and it's it's been. I mean, it's just uh, it's just amazing what they're able to do in terms of looking really really deep into the, the the file structure to to get at the information that the researcher is looking for and be able to present it to them in a way that they could make decision. And uh, the great thing about it also, they're trying to take a not trying, they are taking a multi cloud approach uh, to have to sort of overcoming overcome sort of scaling uh, limitations because when you start going that deep, you you you, you will consume a lot of resources and uh, and they want to be able to rapidly deploy it in in, in different environments where necessary and also to sort of mitigate some of the data and uh, service sort of redundancy that may come as a result. So it's a very interesting project. Uh, there is another one where uh, our organ laboratory is looking at uh, how to apply AI uh, in terms of operations to help them uh, to figure out how to push out, automatically push out uh, lessons learned uh, to lab folks and to make sure that they can put forward the best uh, safety applications, uh, as you know, in, 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 in any laboratory where there are research, particularly around chemicals and whatnot, safety is a big is a big thing. So they're yeah. using, yeah, they're using data, uh, they're mm -hmm. using AI to help to kind of get at that. And and, uh, and they're able to do that because of the data that is available to them and, and how they're, they're sort of manipulating and, uh, and uh, uh, consuming and mining that data. 
lot of data and uh, a lot of great technology that can take advantage of all this data that's available to us. All right, we're going to take another short break. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. H2O.AI is the trusted AI provider to more than 20,000 global organizations and 1 million data scientists. Our goal is to get artificial intelligence capabilities into the hands of operators and analysts. Our tools empower data scientist teams to develop machine learning models quickly, accurately, and responsibly, making capabilities available to their organizations. Learn more at h2o.ai solutions slash industry slash government. Talend, a leader in data integration and data management, is taking the work out of working with data. Talend offers an end-to-end, enterprise-grade platform with capabilities that allow government agencies to actively manage organization-wide data across any cloud, hybrid, or multi-cloud environment. With Talend, data experts and everyday users collaborate to discover, transform, govern, and share data across the organization. Check out how modern data management drives real value for citizens and constituents at talend.com gov. This episode is brought to you by Dataiku. Dataiku helps organizations infuse AI into their business through data-driven decisions. Whether solving for the mundane or pushing the limits of today's technology, Dataiku brings collective success from AI while also unlocking individual creativity. Join the thousands worldwide driving results with Dataiku, the platform for everyday AI. To learn more, visit dataiku.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about AI and machine learning. Tom, I'm going to throw it over to you. Specific use case you'd like to highlight. Yeah, one of the great things about AI and ML are being able to automate routine tasks. So I think all of us, our blood pressure goes up when we walk into DMVs or have to renew our licensing. We're seeing a lot of activity at state DMVs to tie into transportation, to automate some of the routine tasks. So it makes it a lot easier and simplifies the process of renewing your license, which ties directly um, into a lot of the, or it came out of a lot of the things that are happening at DHS around biometrics and things like that. So it just simplifies getting your license. Fantastic. And uh, there's nothing routine at DHS. We know that, Dave, but give us a specific example you touched on a couple of them there. You want to highlight one of those? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, right now, uh, there are three airports uh, around the country that are looking at using facial recognition technology to create a touchless experience. And hopefully by the end of this year, uh, that'll go from three airports to eight airports. Nice. Uh, TSA calls this the credential authentication technology, and it can take a, a traditional experience of having to hand over your passport to using facial recognition, using mobile driver's license to authenticate, to connect to your travel reservation, verify an individual, and allow you to move on to the next step of your journey. Fantastic, all uh, touchless, I would imagine, which is uh, which is outstanding, really do appreciate that. We look forward to that as the traveling public. Jeffrey, how about at H2O.AI? Can you give us a specific example you'd like to bring to our attention? Well, I'll give you a, a general term that everybody seems to have their very specific area, and it's around burden reduction. And we're dealing with lots of offices of burden reduction, and a lot of it is around paper. And specifically, 
uh, we've got organizations that are getting millions of faxed documents coming in for patient referrals that are very detailed that need to have clinicians review that data because they've got oncologists that have specialties that need to see and understand that data. There's a huge amount of PII, PHI in there. And um, it's a difficult problem to solve. And so we've completely automated that process where uh, historically those medical organizations were told it was impossible to do this because Documents were handwritten, some were typed, none of the forms were the same, they're all different. Sometimes they're sideways, sometimes they're upside down. And so we've been able to solve that by combining a variety of OCR, ICR, natural language processing, language models, document analysis. And I think the key here is, is that we can do that by training relatively small sets of data and then the system automatically learns. So now you can suck in millions of data. We've got one customer that pulls in over a million pages of documents a day that we're analyzing, classifying, working with an RPA solution to help with downstream routing. But specifically on the front end of that, we saved one group 25,000 man hours just ingesting the faxes. And then another 5,000 man hours of clinician time where the human in the loop review process was accelerated. So that's where we feel like we can really make a difference. Fantastic. And it doesn't go unnoticed that we're talking about AI and facts in the same uh, sentence there, which is uh, impressive, <laughs> I might say. Sanjay, uh, would you like to uh, highlight a specific example for us? Sure. Th thanks, Luke. So we've got a number, and much of it's focused on how we empower our mission staff to do high-value work and more with less. Uh, a recent one that comes to mind, though, is one where we combine our machine learning models to help our beneficiary claims uh, examiners accelerate the process for how they pro uh, how they make determinations on claims. And so to, to kind of set the scene, it, it, you know, program office came to us and expressed uh, an important mission need that, they're, that they, their team currently processes around 3,000 forms a month with an estimated processing time of around 15 minutes to assess fraud, match data from past determination forms, validate it, and and uh, and then make it make a determination, and the numbers seem to be increasing. And so, we took that concern through our innovation incubator, where we assessed the current state, really heard the customer needs, what 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 their current experience was like, and then we through a, a, a series of that, we determined that we could use an AI-driven form recognition technology in our cloud space to automate the process, assess the forms, and determine which were complete, which required human intervention and really help to speed the staff along to focus more on uh, getting those through the process and, and customer service, empathy, the things that uh, they, they really wanna do and not be data wranglers and data collectors and all those pieces. A, a really important piece with that is just, uh, the, as I mentioned before, the KPIs and how we assess value. So as we went through this, the pilot and the process, we saw that 50% of the workload could be covered by the form recognition technology. And the other 50% could be, it was being handled by the, uh, by the claims examiners. We were able to increase accuracy, faster processing times, and then the ability to do uh, more forms, better customer service. And all the stuff we create as visuals and not only you know, kind of share that with them, but then also bring it back to our leadership around a day in the life of a claims examiner and mm -hmm. what that experience currently looks like mm -hmm. and where we're smartly looking at 
where do we take off that workload and give, empower them to come back and look at uh, things in a, in a much more focused way versus having to do it all. Fantastic use case there and very interesting. Got a lot of spread here on these various use cases. Powerful technology. We're going to wrap it up with this last question. I'm going to start with you, Tom, and we're going to talk about fast forward two to three years. This technology is rapidly being adapted and it's adopted and it's rapidly being developed. What does it look like two to three years from now? What's the demand signal coming from your customers? I think the demand signal is high and in the near term, in it'll greatly enhance cybersecurity, risk and financial markets, keeping us safe, all areas that are great for the public. But the one area that I'm hearing a lot about and I'm most excited about is in healthcare. Um, it's just going to give us amazing research capabilities to drive better healthcare outcomes and analysis. And I just think we'll see great uh, advancements in science and things like genomics that will rapidly advance our ability to deliver positive outcomes in that space and continue to instill public trust in our public institutions. We certainly look forward to that. Jeffrey, how about at H2O.ai? What's it look like two to, year, two to three years from now? Well, you asked about the the demand signal, and I think the demand signal will continue to go up. And I think the real tipping point will be when the trust signal from users, I think, is consistently high, right? And that's that transparency. Is it repeatable? Can you can you audit it? And is there now a fundamental understanding across the business user community as to why this matters? And I think we're sort of where cyber was 10 or 12 years ago, where we had a lot of really, really smart people that were practitioners that were solving mm -hmm. really hard problems. And so I think, it, uh, you know, allowing organizations to scale this so they've got a good competency. That's what I'm hoping. It's a long haul and there's going to be a lot of challenges. And so I guess to, to on the back of what Tom was saying in healthcare, we still have humans all over government reviewing peer papers and submissions from doctors and research mm -hmm. reports. And, you know, what's going on around the pandemic, I think the ability to just rapidly understand, synthesize, summarize that data and get it into researchers' hands um, so that our big brain people aren't doing clerical work, I think will be a big, big leap forward for us. And I'm looking forward to that. Right. Uh, we don't want the data scientists wrestling with the data. We want them to uh, to be using the data. And we really do appreciate that. Mark, how about a data IQ? What's it going to look like two to three years from now as you move your capabilities out of the Petri dish into the mainstream? Yeah. So, you know, we've got a vision at Data IQ that we call Everyday AI. Okay. The future, the future we see includes a significant rise in data literacy across all industries, where data science and AI impacts every industry, every job, every process, every product and service. Similar to the advent of the internet, it really gets going when each person is engaged and can experience how AI impacts their life in a positive way. And that's the future we see. Really do appreciate that. We're looking forward to it. Dave, you gave a couple of fantastic use cases from the adjudicator over at CIS 
to a much more pleasant experience for the traveling public in the uh, in the airports. What what do we expect to see two to three years from now? So you're going to see, hopefully, and this is what we're working towards up in management. Um, we're working at commitments uh, from each component on improving engagements with the public through AI. Right. Mm. So this is where you start talking about your. Uh, this is where you start talking about, you know, what we had spent a while with customer experience on burden reduction. We're going to be starting to see the same thing around uh, commitments on things like, you know, touchless travel, right? On things like using opt-in and opt-out in, in specific places to allow for AI and those types, that type of decision making to occur. You're going to see transparency. I don't think the public will allow us to be successful uh, without us being fully transparent on not just the actual experience being held, but just in general, where the technology is being used, what data is being used to support it, as well as what processes and checks do we have to make sure it's safe and effective. And I think last but not least, you're gonna see adoption through sharing. So as um, each component may have a completely disparate mission and some are more related to emergency management, some are more related to the um, legal immigration process, some through the uh, illegal immigration process, uh, you're going to start seeing where those AI ML use cases and the science and technology research uh, being done is going to start getting noticed. And those other groups say, well, we have actually a very similar use case. So if you you know, swap out a, a checkpoint with a, you know, this this entry area here, we can essentially leverage that same technology. We can leverage those same patterns, that same process, the same governance, the same oversight to be able to have a better experience for the general public. Well, we really do appreciate the uh, the uh, doubling down on the uh, on the uh, on the public interest and the uh, uh, the user experience, if you will, knowing that DHS, I think, is a, has the largest interaction with the public in various ways. So certainly do appreciate that. Sanjay, you talked about a very interesting use case in that last uh, segment. What can we expect two to three years from now, perhaps in that same environment or other environments in Department of Labor? Absolutely. I, th I think where there's going to be much more exploration and focus on it, but I, I want to pause up on what David had mentioned that that uh, the growing use of AI is going to lead to a need for more transparency in how AI models are trained and used and how they're being leveraged for decision making. I see that being a really important focus in government, especially as you look at some of our diversity, equity, and inclusive goals to how we want to create a, a, a fair and open space for everyone. I think the you know the largest source of bias in AI systems is the data where they're, where they're trained on, and that you know that data may have historical patterns, and we have that lineage and that and that quality. Uh, there's a lot of questions around where that that's coming from and how how uh, how verified are those decisions? And I think ultimately the machine learning gains uh, that machine learning gain knowledge from data, but that data is is coming from us. It's coming from our systems, and so I think there's going to be a growing attention to uh, having uh, documented uh, transparency around the data, around how we got to results, how we're validating different tools that are getting out there and to demonstrate that that we're doing it in a fair and balanced way. And so I think that's, that's gonna be a core focus. I think another one is going to be just continued momentum to invest in this space. I talk a lot about worker empowerment and the, you know, the fact that agencies are doing more with less. We continue to get more accountabilities, more responsibilities, and the inputs at some point 
are, it's hard to match the outputs when that's also not growing. So again, we're not looking at replacing workers, but we're looking to how do you augment them? How do you empower them? Mm -hmm. uh, as, as I've talked more with our, our staff and our programs, there's a hunger for let's do it right. Let's do it in a balanced, transparent way. But where can we start to enable us to, to not, I, I wasn't hired to be grabbing several different sources of data and validating these components. I'm hired because I've got policy expertise. I've got knowledge expertise in these areas. Help to empower me to do my job faster, better, and to focus more on what I was trained, I was hired to do, not necessarily be spending all my days reporting and pulling data together um, sure. just to get to the good stuff. Sure, exactly. You want to scrape that out of the way so you can work on these uh, uh, up the value chain type of activities. Jerry, um, is it the goal of the Patent and Trademark Office to automate this entire process? If I invent a new way to roast coffee or something, I can submit it and three days later, a machine sends me back a patent. What's, what's the goal? Luke, I'm glad you asked that question because it's something that comes up uh, time, time and time again uh, from you know internal stakeholders as well as our external customers. This concept of will we see a robot adjudicator or robot patent examiner uh the answer Presumably as far as heavily using ai indeed yes indeed, heavily using mm -hmm. ai ml maybe the new fancy generative ai stuff uh coming out seemingly every week um as far as you know i'm able to ascertain that the probability of that being feasible it right now is zero and it's zero precisely because one, even the most powerful AI technologies out there are not able to apply higher order logic that is the bread and butter of patent adjudication. Patent adjudication is one of these weird uh, hybrid fields of both law and science. It's actually one of the, um, you know, I, I think it's unlike any other government adjudication process uh, in the country. You know, it's this uh, integration of law science, and of course, the instant, the current uh, patent application that's being examined. And you have to integrate all these disparate concepts, you know, sometimes going to Title 35 of the U.S. Code, Sections, you know, 102 and 103, and then sometimes, you know, digging up, uh, you know, references, a, a reference book or an encyclopedia or a white paper uh, that's, you know, only retrievable through, you know, the recesses of the internet or the search databases, you know, integrating all this disparate information and figuring out what to do with it is something that you can't get just by pattern matching. You can probably get, you know, a facially reasonable imitation of that process, but ultimately that process as done by the current state of the art in AI will not reach the level of sophistication, accountability, or transparency that our customers and the IPC ecosystem at large ultimately demands of the USPTO. So for those reasons, I don't think we're going to see uh, you know, robot examiners uh, take over the office. The vision for AI and ML at the USPTO is to augment and empower examiners and our human experts, not to replace. You know, by putting these tools in the hands of the people who are best equipped to make those final adjudication decisions. And by giving them more access to more information, more relevant information, and more timely information, that's how we can best incorporate AI and ML into the business of government and into the business of the USPTO. 
and they'll just make those adjudicators super efficient, which is going to be awesome. Thank you. Guardy, take us home here, Department of Energy. I can think of a, a million use cases in regards to the adoption of this capability, everything from the power grid, et cetera. Certainly. What's it going to look like from where you sit two to three years from now across Department of Energy? Absolutely. I think um, uh, I think across the board, we're going to see, I mean, the future is really exciting, uh, given what we've seen over the past, maybe the past six months and itself, right? Uh, and uh, I think just to kind of uh, drop in a little bit of data here, I think uh, OpenAI, uh, the, the company behind ChatGPT put out a survey, basically uh, some data that says that about 80% of the U.S. workforce uh, will see that their job uh, impacted by, by AI over the next uh, three to five years. That's, mm -hmm. a, that's, a, that's a huge number. So, um, so as a result of that, I think what we, what we uh, are likely to see is uh, agencies really taking uh, their data strategy more seriously. Uh, because it's, it's data is just going to be sort of the, at the center of uh, all the great things that will happen with AI. And, uh, and the other sort of, I don't know if it's a prediction, but the other thing that I can see is that, you know, every worker will have uh, an AI comrade, uh, a coworker sort of maybe just specializing and helping them to get to, to do their job and just, just mm -hmm. do it more efficiently. So what we'll see out of that is really uh, improved decision-making. Uh, we, talk, we, we talk about the decision-making in, in the patent insurance process. We talk about different, different aspects here. We'll see sort of more sort of enhanced efficiency uh, in the way we do things at different levels in government. We'll see improved sort of engagement with, with our stakeholders, the citizen who, who consume information or services from government. And also we'll see a significant improvement in terms of resource allocation. Because now we'll be able to sort of, you know, on the fly, uh, figuring out where resources are needed and how to allocate them and whether they are a human resource or uh, AI resource. So, uh, I mean, the future is really, really going to be exciting. And we're looking at all kinds of ways we can apply AI uh, as far as advancing the mission and making sure that we can continue to be a leader in, in the world in terms of what we do over, over here at the uh, Department of Energy. And we really do appreciate that. And you pointed out 80% of the workers uh, will be affected by the use of AI. And I would say affected in a good way by the use yeah. of AI. So on that note, uh, we're going to wrap it up. We really do appreciate you uh, taking the time, all of you taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us for the program. I'd like to thank our sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience, that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.